we're going to create an atmosphere of winning. That is just what we do. I think a lot of people say they're, they're in the business of you know creating men. You're right that you should be, but we're in the business here of creating winners. And when I say that, it's in your spiritual side. We want to we want to win on the side. We want to win the academic side. We want to win on the baseball side. We want to win at every phase of our life. And we're in the market of making sure we create winners because the world treats winners differently than they do losers. He gets the bright idea that he's going to park his truck in the parking lot in the outfield. And he's going to flash his lights for hit and run, <laughs> bunt and spill. I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to, like, literally, he's out there, and there's a crowd first or whatever it is. And so I got my cell phone, he's calling it, and I'm trying not to answer it, but I see his light flashing. What, too? He's, he's trying to coach the game from his truck in the parking lot by flashing his headlights. You're dialed in to the ABCA's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast, connecting our coaches with some of the best baseball minds in our game. Now here's your host, Jeremy Sheetinger. Broadcasting from the ABCA National Office here in Greensboro, North Carolina, welcome back or welcome to our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast, your baseball coaching source for certified audio gold and the place where you come to connect with the very best baseball minds in our game. Episode 98. Wow, just two episodes away from our 100th show. It's amazing to think how we got here and more of that story to come on episode 100. But today's show is terrific. It's packed with tremendous takeaways you can bring back to your program, your practice plan, all of it, plus connecting with another national champion. So peel back the curtain on their program, so stay tuned in for that. Subscribe, review, and share the reminders, but also the keys to growing this network of listeners on your phone, your computer, your tablet. Subscribe to the podcast. You'll never miss another episode. Leave us a review on there. Five-star ratings are always great to see. That helps more people find the show. And go the extra step and share this podcast. We appreciate all of your help across all those fronts. Connect with us on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Find us at ABCA1945. This would be the week to follow ABCA. We're launching something very special on Wednesday of this week, and we look forward to hearing from all of our loyal members on that one. Head over to our website, abca.org, if you're looking for more information about what our baseball coaching fraternity here is all about. Also, please feel free to reach out to me directly on Twitter at CoachSheets3 or by email Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at abca.org. The notes coming in this week from Joe Craven up in Massachusetts to Michael Rubin up in Pennsylvania, they both left some heartfelt words as to how the podcast is working on them as coaches and as men. Chad Catalano from New Orleans, Aaron Hagler, the guys over at Dinwiddie Baseball, and even one of my mentors and great friends, Luther Bramblett, head coach at Midway University in Kentucky, they were all out earning their degrees in Automobile University this past week, and it's awesome to see that. Keep it up, guys. We love to see those messages and those tweets coming in. It's just great for us to see you investing in your development on your time, and that's exactly the mission of the podcast. Proud to take a few seconds here and offer insight into some of the products that our Dugout Chatter sponsor, their great folks over at Rawlings, are offering the baseball community, like their new Quattro Pro Bat. It's a collision of the very best technologies. We're talking about the combination of a newly constructed inner barrel, which offers a larger sweet spot, which is always good, and a faster, more balanced swing while eliminating barrel drag through the zone thanks to the stiffer, focused flex of the redesigned collar assembly. 
They're so confident in this bat's performance, guys, they're going to back it up with a 30-day performance guarantee, ensuring that if the hitter isn't satisfied after hitting it for 30 days, they can send it back. It's available in multiple weights and lengths, and you can check out all the new Quattro Pro bats on Rawlings.com. That's Rawlings, R-A-W-L-I-N-G-S.com, and they hope to see you and your program join Team Rawlings today. Back into the NAIA ranks and keeping our streak of consecutive reigning national champions alive here on the podcast, we connected with the skipper of the 2018 NAIA national champs from Southeastern University in Florida, a longtime ABCA member, Adrian Dinkle, stops by to open up his path in baseball, but also with the inner details as to how success on the field and World Series appearances seem to be following this guy and the programs he's running. Inside this show, Adrian will detail out how his coaching philosophies have shifted over the years and how his teams have gotten more proficient in their approach to practice time, creating a super fast pace and more importantly, competitive environment for his players to train in. Their different styles of batting practice and an effective plan on the mound are opened up by Coach Dinkle Plus. In keeping with our dugout chatter mission, we spotlight his journey in baseball, including his growth as a leader of men, how he defines the word success, and how Adrian views the best people, teammates, coaches that he spent time with on the field, what makes them special, what makes them successful. And once again, loyal listeners, we find ourselves staring down another Take Feverish Notes episode. So get your pen and paper ready, pull over the truck, park the mower, and make sure you don't miss any of this audio gold. So pull up a bucket with us as we connect with the head coach of the Southeastern University Fire and 2018 NAI National Champion, Adrian Dinkle, as he is our guest on this week's Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. Get ready, coaches. This great show is coming at you right now. Coaches, thanks for dialing into our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. We are going back on the trail to connect with the national champions from 2018, and we're going to stay down on the NAI level. We're going to connect with third-year skipper of the Southeastern University Fire and longtime loyal ABCA member, Adrian Dinkle. Adrian, thanks for jumping on the call with us. I appreciate you having me, Chief. We're excited to have you. Again, we got a nice little run here of consecutive episodes with the reigning national champions. And for me, being a, an NAI guy, how I got my start, it's a great way for us to connect with you. I think you got so much to offer and so much to bring to the airwaves. Um, and again, we're just going to open up a great conversation here today. But where we start, as you know, with our shows, it's about recognizing guys that are loyal and proud to be part of the baseball coaching fraternity here at ABCA. So if you can open up that experience, what it's meant to you to be part of this association, and then the conventions, how have you grown as a coach being part of the ABCA? Oh, I mean, the conventions are, you know, something just from learning or something that actually kind of changed my career as a young guy. First couple of years, never went to any kind of thought. I, I knew a ton. And then, you know, my head coach at the time, Matt Trammell, he said, hey, we're going to head down and we're going to go to this convention. And we were down there and we heard a couple of guys speak. And I realized at that point that I really didn't know anything. And so <laughs> it became a, a, you know, valuable resource, you know, through, through, through videos, you know, through everything that we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been some times in there where I've missed some of those conventions because of circumstances such as having kids, you know, yeah. I got to tend to that. But uh, yeah. by missing those, man, I feel like we were behind a little bit, but the, being there and just being a part of it, you know, the fraternity that it has and the knowledge that's being passed around has, has been unbelievable on my career. That's awesome. I, I was laughing. I think a, a quote that came to mind was uh, Coach Deggs. There's two types of people, those who are humble and those who are about to be. And I think there's a lot of young coaches that have obviously high opinions and, and a high level of confidence 
on who they are in baseball. But then you come to a convention, you hang out with, you know, guys like Jerry Weinstein, who's in his over 50 years inside the ABCA. And that dude is still trying to learn something every convention. So again, appreciate you opening that up. I want to open up your career in baseball, Adrian, because this, this is going to, again, set the platform for a great conversation. We're opening up a lot inside this talk. So if you could take us through your career in baseball, take us to each stop. And if you could, along the way, tell us the lesson that you learned. As far as, you know, I was born and raised in Salt Lake, but, you know, played a couple of years of junior college baseball. And then ended up finishing my career at an NAI school in uh, Kansas, Bethany College. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was over there as a, uh, as a player and, you know, coach always said, Hey, you should get into this thing. And cause you know, I was different. I think than a lot of most that got into things. So, you know, everybody that's kind of coached a little bit is somebody's given the opportunity or, you know, when they played, they played summer baseball for me, actually every single summer, I coached Legion baseball every single summer when I was a, uh, when I was a player in college. So I never wow. went out and I didn't, I never went out and played summer baseball. I mean, I just played some pickup leagues just to stay in shape on my picks, but my passion was always to coach. So yeah. You know, there was four years in there where it was legitimately coaching Legion baseball. So, you know, there a lot of things that I learned from there on the high school side was just number one was how to organize and mainly deal with parents at the high school side. Um, you know, but it was one of those situations with Bethany where when I finished up, you know, the kind of my idea and my plan was always just to head back to Salt Lake and be a be a high school baseball coach. I was I was really kind of set on that and uh at the time, the year that I, you know, I still had another fall that I needed to finish up for school to graduate. And, uh, you know, my coach said, why don't you come back and help out? You know, we'll help out, still pay for the rest of your degree and, you know, come help coach. Maybe this is the level you want to be at. I know you want to coach. So, mm-hmm. and I was thankful for Matt for doing that. But when I did that, you know, it was, you know, I was like, all right, I'm going to head home. Um, he convinced me. Once again, the guy is the, the best recruiting guy I've ever been around in my life. Um, and that's one of the things that taught me there. But he convinced me. And. We, I thought, like, you know what, I'll stick to spring out. Well, actually, you know how funny how God works a little bit. During that yeah. summer, I was uh, I was getting ready to accept a high school job and I'd be a PE teacher at a high school back home in Salt Lake City. And uh, the year before, I worked with uh, Matt Trammell, was our head coach, and another guy named Mike Silva, which is now the associate head coach at uh, Louisiana Tech. Yeah. And uh, during that summer, um, Mike actually jumped out and took another job. And uh, I'm literally got offered the job. And God works in crazy ways because my phone rings an hour before I'm going to accept this job. And he says, Hey, Silva just left. Would you want to be our head assistant? And I remember, I just got done playing. Yeah. And I said, you know what? <laughs> I'll go give it a go. And next thing you know, I'm working for Matt for four years. And something I learned from him was he, he, he really taught me how to recruit. I think that's the backbone of any program, but yep. that guy was the best recruiter I've ever been around. He taught me how to recruit. And from there, you know, I uh, came full circle with, a. Uh, Matt left and went to Washington State, and, Claire, and Mike ended up getting a job at Clarendon, and I went down to Clarendon with him at junior college ball in Texas. I was there for a couple years and uh, had the opportunity to work for Mike, and uh, you know he was a guy that I learned a lot from as far as how to motivate. Uh, that guy's the best mm-hmm. motivator I've ever been around in my life. Uh, he's really, really good at it. Um, he really taught me how to motivate, um, very structured, uh, very demanding at the same time. Um, so we'd learned a ton from him. You know, after that time, things went different. And it's kind of one of those situations where I still met my, you know, at the time, fiance, and uh, we were together, and she kind of followed me around from, you know, place to place. And I gave her an opportunity to, uh, I don't know why I did it, but I did. Um, <laughs> I said, you know what, man, you can, you can pick anywhere you want to live in the country because after this, you're going to follow me everywhere you want to go, and I'll just figure out the job for you. And of all places, she picks Kansas. 
Uh, so okay. we ended up moving back. It was, I don't know why, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was just, all right, let's get home for her. Sure. For me. You know, I had coached there before. I met her when I was at Bethany. So we ended up heading back to Kansas. And uh, right when I get back, I get a phone call from the head coach at the time at Sterling. I think Jared Hamilton. And uh, that guy actually calls out of nowhere. And he says, hey, I heard you're, you're back looking for a job. He said, I, I need some help. You're, can you help run my pitching program and help get this thing going? Well, I may get fired, you know. Um, I just started laughing. I said, you know what? And at the time, my, my wife's brother-in-law, fiance at the time, my wife's brother-in-law was playing there. I was like, I don't know if I want to do that. I made some fights in the household. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I ended up accepting, uh, accepting the job and going down there. And I, you know, I actually worked for free, believe it or not, that year. You know, he was great enough, but he taught me humility. Um, and he was another one. He taught me how to love. Uh, and that dude was a... Mm-hmm was probably a game changer in my life as far as, you know, my faith, you know, with the Lord and, and everything from that front. But that year, you know, I was the pitching guy. He gave me, for a guy that had a lot of pride, he just handed me a pitching staff um, and allowed me to just run the pitching staff and taught me how to delegate through him. And it just so happened that that summer, um, he was actually let go. And uh, hmm. I actually found it out. Um, I was like, wow, what am I going to do with the job now? We'll figure it out. Uh, threw a suit on, grabbed my binder with all my notes and all my things, drove straight down to the athletic director's office, has no idea who I am. I walked into his office with the suit on my binder, put it on his desk and said, I want to be the head coach here next year. And he had no idea who I was. Didn't even know I coached there the year before. Um, had awesome. no clue. I mean, he's just like, who are you? Like, and I had to explain to him, I had explained my vision, and he's looking at me like, what are you doing in my office? I mean, I'm dressed to the gills. I'm like, I want this job. And, uh, He's going, what are you doing? And you got to understand the program that Sterling wasn't a very good program. And they were winning nine to 15 games a year, every right. single year. And I'm like, but I just want to be a head coach. And uh, he names me the interim head coach. And you know, I end up getting married at that same summer. And then two days before I'm getting married, he says, hey, we're going to offer you the job. And I'm like, oh, crap. Get married, go on a honeymoon, come back, have to create a team. We end up going there. I end up being the head coach there for five years. Um mm-hmm spend the five years there. And then after that, I accept the job down here at Southeastern and I've been here for three years. How about that? You know, I get, it's a great moment to give a little shout out to uh, Joey and Bo running the farm system podcast and the former players of yours. How cool is it to see? I know you got so many stories like that to see former players out there, especially the Sterling guys. Now you're building this base at Southeastern guys that you've led as head coach. How cool is it to see guys out there having success? that's the most rewarding part, you know, more than the guys that we've had drafted or the guys, you know, that we have that made it a high level. That, that's, those are the more rewarding ones. Guys like Bo, guys like Joey, guys that have come in from, you know, backgrounds that have been rough that didn't have anything that are out, you know, serving and doing other things that are greater than themselves. Those are, that's right. those, those make me much happier than the fact that, you know, the guys that are still playing in professional baseball to this day, but, you know, I'm happy for uh, Joe and Bo and, so, you know, hopefully they continue to do great things. That's it. You know, it's a great time to, uh, Adrian, while I've got you, just talking about NAIA baseball. And I think, like I mentioned earlier, I got a chance to start my career, my first two years on the NAIA level. You've spent a lot of your career on the NAIA level, so you've seen a lot, uh, met a lot of people, seen a lot of different teams. If you could for any coach, I think that's one of the, the levels that's tough to explain to parents and to student-athletes. It's not always on their radar screen when actually it should be. If you could take this moment and give us a, a real good 30,000-foot view of NAI baseball, the talent you've been able to coach against and also coach, uh, and what the World Series in Lewiston looks like. I mean, I was that guy as a player getting recruited by NAI. I had no idea what it was. Yeah. Legitimately. I was like, what? What? Like, I'm not going there. <laughs> you know, that's embarrassing. And then I ended up, 
had a lot of friends in Division One, been into Division One. I. I got down there, and in the first three weeks, you know, I was like, holy crap, how many good players do we got That's here? It, um, yeah. I don't think people understand the, the talent level that is rolling around the NAI level. I mean, there was every, every arm. I think that year when I was at Bethany, we had seven arms, the radiates and 92 that could spin it and sink it. And I was like, what are they doing at the NAI level? Why aren't you somewhere else? You know, it was a long time ago when throwing 92 was actually throwing hard compared yeah. to today. That's um, right. A lot of people don't realize the way I try to tell it and the way we explain it to a lot of people. And you take those top, you know, 25 NAI teams, they can compete with anybody, you know, at the D2 level or a lot of these levels. Yeah. Um, the majority of my guys and majority of all these other teams' guys were our Division One baseball players that have transferred in for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. Um, I've kind of let them here, but it's a high level. Um, you know, I think that a lot of them you know, are Christian you know, oriented, which, which I love, but mm-hmm. you know, even like Lewiston, you go see that world series. That is, that is one I've been to the division one, you know, the Juco world series. I've been to the NCAA division one world series and those ones are, are phenomenal. But as far as the atmosphere and the way it's ran up there in, in Idaho, I mean, that's you know, second to none. It's yeah. a first class operation and it's a, it's a great experience to be a part of, but I just think a lot of people need to realize and understand, you know, that, the baseball that we're playing at our level is at a high level. We still deal with it in recruiting that, you know, we'll get big league at times where we're not, a, you know, we don't have the blue label where they're like, nah, I'm not going to send my guy there and I'm going, your best player couldn't play for us. Yeah. You might as you know, I, I don't, I don't know what's going on here. So <laughs> there's a high level and, and we enjoy being at it and I love being at the level. That's outstanding. Um, take us into this before we open up a lot of this deep, deeper conversation. I want to talk about your early years as a coach. Um, what made that decision so plain to you? that you wanted to get into coaching? What motivated you then to make this a career? And then as you look at who you were at that time and, and what was really driving you, what your why in coaching was, how has that developed and changed over the course of your career? For me, I, I think growing up, I mean, I, I was around a, you know, a baseball family. Every brother played, and you know, I had mm-hmm. three older brothers play professional baseball and stuff like that. But I was always the guy, you know, even through high school, man, after we'd play our games, I was the random dude that would, get in my car by myself and I'd go watch other high school games. I'd always catch myself doing it. And I just actually, from then on, I loved to play, but I always had more passion to teach. I was always the guy that I loved to teach and I loved to learn. Um, mm. There was never enough. I was like, somebody feed me, feed me, feed me, give me more. Um, I always, there was always something more for me and I was never satisfied. Um, so, you know, growing up, even going through college, I didn't have a lot of aspirations to play professional baseball. I played at the college level because I was competitive, but, I knew I always wanted to coach. So I was the annoying one that was always standing next to the head coach asking why, why, yeah. why, why? And they're, dude, Dinkle, get out of here, dude. I'm sick of dealing with you. You know, I was that guy. But, you know, early it was, I thought I knew a ton and, you know, was kind of stubborn in my ways. And as, as I got older, you know, I started to realize I didn't know much, like I said earlier, and uh, kind of opened up the passion. We talk about convention, something that blew my mind. was, I think it was 2010, man. I heard Ken Revisa speak, and I had no idea on the mental, mental mindset. And, he, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, I heard him speaking, and just a light bulb went off. And next thing you know, I'm just sucked into that. Um, so, you know, a lot of things have changed from, from the early years to now. My motivation is, is still to develop human beings, um, to create winners. Um, but it's, mm-hmm. it's not going to change, I think, on that aspect. I think we all grow up, and we all make different changes, but my motivation and my development is just to get better every single day. That's it. And let's open that up. You talk about developing winners and I'm excited to hear you detail this out. You're talking about winning, finally getting over the hump and winning this year's national championship. You've had a few appearances at the world series. It's where you and I actually first met back in 2016. And when you're thinking about the culture 
that you really have put in place there at Southeastern, one that's obviously given you the ability to get back to the World Series and give your team a chance to win. Can you detail out what the inner workings of your program look like? What are we selling on the recruiting trails? Why are kids deciding to be part of your program, Adrian? Well, if you say on the recruiting trail, obviously, and then I, I'm pretty fortunate where I am now to be in a uh, baseball-rich state. You know, so sure. obviously, we're going to sell the weather that we're in while everybody else is playing in 40. You know, we're we're complaining about the heat in January, mm-hmm. so um, you know, we're obviously going to sell that. You know, as far as our our culture that we have here, it's the same anywhere we're going to go, and uh, it's we're expected to be confident and classy, but yet accountable group. You know, that that really honestly starts with serving others. Um, mm. We're we're a Christian school, um, and we want to live our lives Christ-like. And I think that's just anywhere. I think most people should want to live their lives Christ-like. You know, it's not for me to judge, but that's what we expect out of our guys. Um, you know, the first thing that we do as a as a team, um, we bring back guys early, and we serve someone else. We move people into the dorms. We'll go out and clean up a yard. But I want our guys to understand when they first get here, it's just it's not about you. Um, it's just not. There's more about it. We want to make it better for someone else. Do we make someone else's day better? And we want our guys to first understand that serving others is our priority and the rest will take care of itself. Um, mm. You know, we're going to create an atmosphere of winning. Um, that is just what we do. I think a lot of people say they're, they're in the business of, you know, creating men. You, you're right that you should be, but we're in the business here of creating winners. Uh, and when I say that, it's in your spiritual side. We want to, we want to win on the side. We want to win the academic side. We want to win on the baseball side. We want to win at every phase of our life. And we're in the market of making sure we create winners because the world treat, uh, treats winners differently than they do losers. And we want to win at everything. So, you know, we're competition driven, just like everybody else is. Um, we're going to focus throughout our fall here, you know, and I think about, you know, the selflessness over selfish and guys got to understand that here that, you know, if they have the mentality of selfish, they're, they're just not going to last very long. And it, mm-hmm. it takes some kicking it out of them early, but they're going to figure it out then. And this guy really cares about what's going on with other people. And that starts from the top and our administration down, which a lot of serving and doing the right things for others is, is what we're looking for. Um, you know, we talk about being super competitive and it's just not on the field. I mean, one of the things that we do here that, that we really enjoy is like you said, we put our guys on, you know, five different teams, you know, if you got whatever, you know, 50 guys, you got, you know, five teams of 10, example, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And it's all point driven for us. So everything we hear is a little bit point driven. You'll hear me talk about that. But, it's, yeah. you know, we we grade out on the weight room, the practice, your class, your study hall, and your chapel. And it's all on points. And it's if you were in a classroom with your hat on and we're still showing respect, then you're going to get dog points. Um, you know, your shirt's not tucked in when we're on the field. You're going to lose points. You went to extra chapels, you're going to get more points. Did you serve somebody else? Did you go out on your own? And you know what? You see that that dude carrying groceries, and he, he's got to walk. Did you pick it up? Those things that we're looking for. That's all tallied throughout the year. And at the end of the year, they get a reward from it. You know, and some of the things they get out of there that we talk about is, you know, they get their own seat on the bus, their first line, and team bills. We 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 try to compete at everything we do. Um, but we we want to make sure our guys are extremely accountable for everything that they do. Uh, we we don't allow excuses here. Um, we're very, very simple in our program to play for unless you make excuses and you're not accountable. I mean, if you mess up, we're all humans, and, and you come in, the first thing out of your mouth is, oh, coach, I, I just, you know, I, I kept pushing this and this happened. We're going to have an issue, right? You know, we're going to have those things, and we're going to have our fun punishments and, and our hard punishments. But, uh, 
when I say funny punishments, if you don't have your shirt tucked in and we catch you, man, we're going to have you do Tommy's. Everybody's going to laugh at you. It's kind of one of the things we do, or, but, um, <laughs> We we make our guys accountable and so on. It's a thing that kind of you know kind of surprised me here. You talk about being at the NAI level is, you know, you gotta work on your own fields. Uh, you gotta take care yeah. of your own stuff at most of these places. These junior colleges, you gotta grind. And when I first came down to Southeastern, they had a grounds. You know, they didn't do anything. It sure. was like they're mowing. They were mowing your grass. They were edging your lines. They were putting bases in. They were fixing the mound. And I'm like, no, that ain't happening, man. Uh, so I actually had to sit down with the grounds people down here and take it all away. Um, wow. Where I was just like, no, 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 our guys are going to, they're going to do something. So our guys, you know, they're going to do their field jobs. They're going to take their mounds. They still, grass crew still cuts the grass and edges and stuff like that. But our guys are going to take care of the mounds. They're going to clean up. They're going to, I mean, it used to be that they just left the trash and people come pick it up for them. Oh boy. Um, in our culture, that wasn't, it's just my culture. How it's, but that wasn't going to happen. You're going to pick up trash. Another thing, like I said, we do is we have days built in there, believe it or not. We talk about serving others, but if you're going in and going to go run in and, get a drink of water that you fill your cup up. We actually have you hand it to someone else and give them their water. Mm. Um, and then somebody else hands it around. We work in those situations. Let's understand that there's just, there's somebody else around here as well, but we want our guys to, to compete at everything they do, but, but do it in the right way. Um, but we build it with a ton of fun, man. So I think ultimately overall, when we look at, it, like I said, it's a, it's a confident classic group that's going to work hard, but we're going to enjoy where we're doing it. But the preface of our thing is, selfishness over selfish and, and understanding the fact that we will serve others. Oh man. I mean that, as we say on the show, that's certified audio gold. And I was just thinking if I'm any coach paying attention to this and, and I'm craving the uh, nuggets that can help inside of our own program, help players understand how to become more selfless and how to initiate that culture. Man, you just laid out some really good uh, elements and, 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 uh, actionable items that coaches can take back to their program. That's outstanding. Dink, keep this thing rolling, man. Cause I, I really, I'm excited to get into this. You and I connected yesterday and talked through some things and I was outside working and going, I cannot wait for this interview. Cause there's so much that you're going to, you're going to dive into. And I think a, a staple of what has become part of teams that you coach has been this practice environment and how you approach an up-tempo, high-speed, but we're never losing the sight of the purpose. And, and, and there's a purpose behind everything that you guys are doing on the field. As you opened up, it's highly competitive. Take us into your practice environment. How'd you get there and what's it look like? Yeah, man, I think we get this question a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, believe it or not, some of our guys actually look like we're crazy at first, um, but it's <laughs> We're extremely high paced. Uh, I think the reason why I got to that, and you asked the question, is how do we get there? You know, being a lot of different programs, not only as a player or a coach, everything was so slow. And you, you know, you're standing out there for these five hour practices, and dudes are losing attention spans, and reps are getting worse, and pitchers are standing around, and you're yelling at them to get apart. And I'm like, it's got to be a better way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's got to be a better way, but we're not ruining it. And so, started putting a place where, hey, we're, we're going to everything's on time and everything is high volume reps. Um, and doing it when I say it's, it's high paced, but we're still making sure that we get the right things done. But you know, everything is for a reason. It's because I don't like a lot of wasted time. I think the waste of time between setting up and tear down, for example, with you being here is like when we set up and tear down our, our field, um, for batting practice, we got three minutes and it's on stopwatch. It's go, you got three minutes. It's yeah. a set up, tear down. If it's not, we're going to stop. We're going to run. We're going to get it right. Um, there's just too much waste of time where fields are taking 10, 15 minutes. Why are we wasting that time? Let's get in, let's get out, get our work done. But, you know, our practice traditional is everybody else. We're going to run out and split the groups up and 
we're going to have a run stretch throw. Um, everybody has their plan. The pitchers have their routine, whatever. Their guys have their stretching plan. But from there, where we jump into every single day, and this kind of where it starts to fly for us, is uh, we have indies, which we call indies or every days. Um, okay. It's all high reps. And so, you know, you're, we're going to have the short stops and the, and the second basemans are going to be in the middle or third baseman or first basemans are obviously on the corner and they have a guy with them, um, outfielders and the outfield catchers behind the plate who pitchers with our pitching guy. Um, and it's traditional run through where they're going to sit down on their knee with their, it's with their paddle glove, their training glove, their bare hand, whatever it may be. We're all running through progression, but it's move, 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 move 10. And we want to get as many high volume reps as we possibly can. So like I said, we're on a knee and we work open hip movements and it's picks, 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 stand up on our feet. And as we get up on our feet, like I said, we've already had 15 to 20 movement ground balls, pattern ground balls just mm. on our knees. Then we're on our feet. We're going to run through that same progression as, as we're moving through. So our goal in that time is if we're in the middle infield or any of our infielders is we're going to have our come throughs. We're going to have our backhands. Um, we're going to have our feet moving, our hip pivots, everything that we're doing in that situation. It's high volume reps. And as soon as we're done with that, I mean, it all kind of ties together. Like I said, I'll explain this to you as it goes, but it's now all of a sudden, once they're done, every infielder's done that. Our third baseman's head to third, our first baseman's head to first, our shortstop second baseman's head to their position. Catchers are behind the plate. They're all doing their thing with their guy. I'm in charge. So example here, I have the middle infielders. I have another guy, and this is where we're very lucky here, where in the past I had to do this on my own, but there's somebody else with our guys over there. And it's now we're working double plays. I'm behind the mound with the fungo, racking double plays. Next guy up, shortstop. And it's on time. And it's mm. shortstops are getting four minutes of ground balls. And it's ball in, boom, 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 boom. And the second baseman's going over. It's double plays, and we're working. That day, if it's a Monday, it's ground ball all. It's on the flip side. And they think the left side or our glove side, flip side, vocal communication. It's in, out. Well, we're making sure that guys are rotating. So if I got four shortstops, just rotate. And bam, we flip over and we switch over to our second baseman. Now they're getting their hit pivots, their drops, their flips. It's vocal talk. Um, you know, Monday could be that way where if we're doing that same thing on Tuesday when we jump into a double play, we will mix it up to get guys better. We give our guys in this understand here when we say we go high tempo, we're moving in this time. There's a lot of freedom to make big boy plays. So like on a Tuesday, for example, it's all glove flips, anything to your left side. Everything that we do is nothing but a glove flip. We're going to teach you to get rid of the baseball um, with your glove. And now if you talk about that, I just explained that all to you. We've already had about 85 ground balls in about 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, we've already moved. After that, it all kind of ties together. Our outfielders are running around through their Z drills, through all sorts of outfield drills. They're running through that. Our catchers are running through their movement patterns. They're receiving. They're blocking. Next guy up, boom, boom, and we're moving. And we want to treat our practices like, that's why I explain to our guys, you're going to condition during practice, and if you don't, we'll just condition after. Yeah. So we're, we're going to get it done, and after it all ties together. So if you flip out on like a, whatever, on a Tuesday, um, right when it all ends, our guys know they all have a stopwatch. Bam, it's done. It's over with. We get down. Now it's a relay drill where my third base – my corner infield guy that's already worked his picks and his come-throughs and his backhands and his double-play turns with our nets that have all happened during this process is now out there flipping balls, and we're pushing these guys through relay drills where we're challenging them, and our catchers are now involved. Our outfielders are now involved. Every position is involved where our guy is now. And it all goes smooth into one where, like I said, it's high tempo, and now we're working relay drills through tough hops, through long hops, and our catchers now getting vocal more work in communication just through our everydays. And that would be a Tuesday thing. Um, yeah. So we want to go high tempo. So right there, just for us, I'm always saying, what? 
why are we doing all these other things when I can get this done in this 20 to 25 minute span right there? We've already covered double play hit movements. We've already our relays. We've covered our slow rollers. We've covered all that in high reps before we even get into the bulk of practice. We've already pushed ourselves into a hundred ground balls and we've covered relay throws and communication on what we're looking for. For example, like on a relay, if I'm flipping the ball from the outfield into our guy and I one hop him, our catcher, as soon as the ball's in the air is shouting three, three, three. So it's, quick thinking we're on our feet and we do it that way because we want our guys to be able to re- react to quick movements because that's what's going to happen in the game mm-hmm. we want our guys to react all of a sudden as soon as he flips it our catcher screaming three 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 he catch relay battle he's got to go to three all of a sudden the ball's in there he might be screaming four or two and we just rotate around for all our guys but mm-hmm. we do those things as far as that's just individual and i said that sounds like a lot already i'm sound like that to you it sounds like a ton but that's just 20 minutes of work yeah right um and we've already kind of move and then what happens from there we talk about a high high test we give our guys they know as soon as it's done it's dropped dead boom they got about a minute and 30 to a minute and 45 to go in and get a drink and so they're sprinting off the field they go in they get a drink um then they're back out and then that day depending on what it is whether it's our specialties um we talk about being competitive inside of them with our specialties and we do two specialties in that time whether it's you know your team defense and 21 outs and we do our 21 outs um a little different than I'm sure some others, I don't know, maybe people do the same way, where we're, we split straight up, where Team one's always the home team and Team is always out, and they do their teams before they go because they check the practice plan that day. And in our place, if you don't know the practice plan, um, if you don't know the practice plan... <laughs> you're lost. And you have to ask, you, you're, you're going, what's going on? You get There's a punishment for it. Um, oh, you get man. punished, you lose your point, or we have we stop it and say, hey, you're going to get Tommy's, we punish you. Because you better know your practice plan, because we're, we're moving. Uh, now, when I say it's going so, so super high pace, it ain't that we're dying or anything like that. I mean, our guys are, they're still moving and we're getting the proper reps that we need to do. We're not, we're not going so high pace that we're losing, you know, the proper foot movement or hand movement. We're, we're making sure that it's in there, but we're trying to get max reps. Like I said, then we jump into, you know, whatever team 21 out. So that whole team's heading out. Our other guys have grabbed their helmets, their bats, their to the plate. We have a tee when we hit 21 outs, we hit off of a tee. Um, mm. So and that's uh, and that becomes all point driven. Uh, it's all point driven. Our twenty one out team defense is. There's a guy over there. One of my assistants is sitting over there with this clipboard and our sheet that explains all of our our time. You know whatever it is, plus first to third for the runner. Did he move a guy? Did he advance a guy? Did he square a ball up? These are all points driven. There's a winner and loser in these games, and it's twenty one outs driven. We don't communicate. Was our trash man bad? And we're, we're moving through that. So guys are kind of flying all over the place, and it's high communication because. These guys want to get this done because they're starting to get tired, so they start to communicate. Um, and there's times we'll slow it down um, to make sure if there's something in there we just do completely wrong, we'll stop practice. Hey, yeah. we're going to fix this now because if we're not correcting it, we're condoning it in our yeah. program. Um, so we correct immediately, but you talk about things that we do. But even in there, man, we talk about wanting to keep everything high-paced. Everything's on a stopwatch. As soon as the ball comes off that tee and it touches the glove, we have four seconds to get it to the first baseman. Hmm. And it's screamed out, man. If you hit a ground ball to the shortstop, as soon as it touches the glove, man, somebody's screaming out 2.6. So you knew how fast you got rid of it. A ball, as soon as it touches the outfielder's glove, he has less than four seconds to get it back into the cutoff, man. And we're screaming out, you know, 1.7. And so we want everything these guys to understand that we want to get the ball in. We want to move fast. We want to have our practice moving so quick in these situations that when the game starts, it's at our rhythm and nothing surprises you. That's it. Um, we have the same general rule of you have to get on and off the field um, in 15 seconds. If you don't get on and off in 15 seconds throughout the fall, then 
lose points, punishment at the end of this thing. Um, but we talk those things. Like I said, we'll run those two specialties, whether it's our PFPs and we got our three lines that go to our two lines. But and that could be, you know, we went 21 outs that day and then and then jumped into PFP. Um, mm-hmm. And it's all set. Our plan is set throughout the week, and they know what days that they're going to PFP because ultimately we're working our practice plan around our pitchers um, to make sure they can get their long toss and all that stuff in. Sure. But you know, at the end of our, you know, example competing is we'll always stick a guy on the mound at the end of our PFP solo by himself and we had a rocket back at him he's got to pick it up roll a double play if he throws it away we drop everybody runs a triangle we get back in and get back to work but we and they get excited when the dude actually throws it to second base um and makes the double play but those are the things that we talk about that we do um and why we move so fast and then you know right after that traditionally you know you've already covered out you know, your indies and your, your team defense or your PFPs or your extended mass fungos or whatever you may be, the million different there's a million different things we do. Then that's where I said that, then that it's all said and go get a drink. We had drinks in between each drill. Boom. They got three minutes set it up. And now we've moved on into our, our batting practices and the way we do our batting practice will start to slow some things down, but we want to be high tempo. Um, and I said, when we move, uh, we're flying because I just don't believe in wasted, wasted time and wasted energy. Um, but we want to make sure that we're doing things the right way that are still developing our guys. Cause we're all about development here, mm-hmm. but then a lot of places, yes. I mean, it's just been a lot of places where it was like, you may have only got, you know, 30 ground balls that day. That's and it. I'm going, why am I only getting 30 ground balls that day? Uh, why not get 150? And I can still do this every single day. You know, why am I not getting more relay? Why am I not talking more? What, you know, at the end of the day, when we talk about individuals, times our catchers jump straight in and they're throwing the bats. Um, a lot of different things that we do, and there's a lot more detail that goes into these things. But just the premises of why we're so high tempo is the attention span is going to fall apart, man. Um, it just yeah. does. And you, you've been there. You yeah. had that when you were back in the day. And all of a sudden, you're standing out there at you know three hours into practice, and you're thinking about what am I going to eat for dinner? Yes. Yeah, um, we want our guys locked in so they're they're getting better, they're developing, and and now we have time to get in and break down our swings. But we do a ton of stuff that is extremely high tempo, and it's fast moving to get high volume reps with intent. Mm. That's good. You mentioned up batting practice, and I know you've got a few variances on how you guys attack BP. Um, can you go through those again? I've already prefaced all of our listeners on the front end of this show. This is a take feverish notes episode. So the pen and paper are out. Keep this going. Keep open up the styles of batting practice that you guys use there at Southeastern. Yeah, I mean, it, it, everything I said is different. Just, you know, our styles, you know, our styles of BP. And so we don't just hit to hit. And it's never going to happen. And we're not going to stand up there and go four rounds of five and hit it where you want it. We really honestly don't have a round either where you just sit up there, oh, hit and run and move them over. That, that's not happening. Um, <laughs> our styles of BP are, are legitimately met and designed for you to create that speed with force in the controlled barrel. Um, we want to, we want to design and we want to develop complete hitters. Um, that, that, that's just what we do. And so I think a lot of the times in there really where it was just guys were standing up there to swing to swing, but what do we accomplish that day? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so we, we have a set routine, um, guys that have their, you know, in the cage example, will start for us in the cage. Um, they actually have a routine with our, with our weighted balls and they're going to run through their weighted ball, their walkthroughs, their air drills, their Beltron drills, and the different things that we do in the cage before it's their rotation. So example, we have group one, um, is on the field, you know, group two is in the cage. 
doing their thing and, and, and it's a traditional rotation, but you, you said premise it before we do, but what we do when we talk about creating bat speed is because bat speed plays at any level you're at. Yeah. Um, let's just, let's just be honest. And we think that's what we're trying to do in control barrel. If you have no bat speed, but you have a good swing, you ain't going to do anybody any good. Let's be real. Um, <laughs> it, it, you, you may square a ball up and the left fielder's camping and laughing at you. Yeah. So you have some bat speed. You can play anywhere. If you're hitting the ball a hundred mile an hour, that plays at any level, that's no it. matter where you're at. So we're, we're competing to do that. And the first thing that we, we do as a program is we test velocities, man. We come out there, we test X of D lows and uh, same thing with pitchers. We test with below there, but I mean, we're, we're testing your exit velocity. The, one of the first things we do as an offense, we get out, test it, write it down, boom, goes in our system, our TPI chart. We shove it in there. We're good. And we move on. Um, then we jump into our BPs and you ask what, uh, what we're doing. I mean, example with some of the BPs we do is, uh, we do a thing, you know, a lot of people do angle BP and we run it extreme. Um, for us, that is, you know, we're finding a way to incorporate the hips and the barrel, you know, that it's, we're able to whip and control bat speed barrel into gaps. Um, mm -hmm. If you have never done angle BP extreme angle BP, and again, if you know what that is, we got a guy down the third base side and a guy over on the, you know, towards the first base side of the mound, and they're throwing BP and coming from that side, you got to get your hands. And we're looking to drive a ball as hard as we possibly can into a gap, mm -hmm. um, you know, with the right flavor. We're running that BP, but a lot of guys have never done it. They come into our program, don't understand that I have to get hip hand separation and I actually have to create some movement getting forward to drive the ball in this gap. Cause if I don't, I'm going to be hooking everything foul. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that we do when we drive a ball to that side as well. And a lot of people do that, but we're going to focus on that where we do some other stuff in there with, with our BP, which we call an approach BP. And we want to talk about being able to control our, our barrel in our zone and understand that we don't run our offense to just try to hit the balls out of the yard. Now I know if you looked at the numbers, you know, we hit a lot of home runs, but um, it's, I think it's the fact that we create uh, bat speed, but it's, we don't like guys that strike out either. So one of the approach BPs that we have is we call it an approach BP where there's seven balls. If you stick seven balls in the front of a plate, it fits perfectly, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and the four balls obviously right down the middle. If you're right-handed, one's on the inside, seven on the outside. Yep. Our guys are getting in the box that day, and it's they got to call out a number, whether it's the five. Or I mean, coach, I want to be in the five. I'm right-handed. That means I'm trying to drive the ball with force and aggression, but I'm trying to drive to the right side. They got to call out a five. We're throwing the ball to the five. If they swing at a three, we kick them out of the cage. That's it. Next yeah. guy up and everything's on time. You're out of the cage, man. You weren't ready to hit because the reason why we do things like that is how many times have you seen for us? Is how many times has a guy walked up there? Oh, oh, and he's just hacking it. It's a weak ground ball to the second base. Mm -hmm. We're trying to, we want to avoid that. I mean, our ultimate goal here is we want to hit a ball so hard that they want to go put catcher's gear on everybody that's in the field because we're going to hurt somebody. <laughs> so it. if I'm taking an oh, oh hack, man. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to hurt somebody and that's just what it is, but we want to keep it to where that small narrow focus is, is attained. And we know what we're doing and it's all progression and there's more progression that goes into these BPs, whether it's where was a strike one now, what progressions and what zones are we in now, blah, 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 whatever it may be. But then we have other things that we talk about. We want to create short barrel with extension through the zone that is with that speed and force is we have another thing called zone BP. We have a tackling dummy. We actually sit on the outside part of the plate. Um, and if you get long and that barrel's weak, your hands are going to ring because you are smoking the tackling dummy. Um, and guys through that will learn that it's time that we're going to, I have to get through this baseball with some force and I want to drive the baseball. No realize that. Oh man, I'm dumping a ball at second base. We're looking at me. We know that boy, that big ball. And we, we're trying to knock a wall down right now. Um, and they'll learn right there that, Hey, 
we got to get our hands through there. That's just another one. We have a time where sometimes I think that coaches just need to shut up and let the kids play. But we have a thing called fire BP, and I know we're the fire, but no pun intended. I didn't name this BP. It was actually given to me of a much smarter person than me. And uh, um, it was Mike Silva, actually, with that little guy over there now, and he named it, you know, fire BP. And it's time just to get in the box and be athletic. We see ball, and literally it is. Wherever it's thrown, we're swinging. Because um, we want our guys at this point to get in the box, and it's just yes, yes, yes approach. And, for guys to understand that they can hit a ball on the outside part of the plate hard if they don't think about it and they let their athletic ability come through. Is that all the time? No, but sometimes it's just, dude, you just time to get in the box and be athletic. Um, we have other drills in there, which we call no pop, no pull. It's all barrel control, driving, getting inside a baseball with some bat speed. Um, it's all hand and progression driven. Um, and we have the time to compete again with our man versus machine. Man, we're going to do what a lot of people do. We're going to crank that machine up at 100 mile an hour. Oh. Here it comes, big boy. It's time to compete and get that barrel out front. Um, another thing that we do is we have a split BP. We put a, a screen right in between home plate. There's two hitters out there, and we get the radar gun, and it's, hey, we're going to drive a ball to right field. This guy gets a ball. We have the radar gun. Hey, it came off your bat at 97.8. Next guy gets one. It came off at 97.6. And now they know, and they're competing to hit it to a part of the field whoever gets the highest velo and that thing is going to win that round. And there's always some kind of bet or some kind of progression with them on what they're doing. But like I said, everything we do through our BPs is, is to develop, you know, like I said, just be real. It's while well, we, we're trying to get as much, you know, exit velo as possible at that speed of velo, wise controlled and complete and, and create a, uh, a complete hitter. We don't want guys that are just hitting the balls out of the yard. We want to have guys that are able to, hit a backside ground ball, but what we don't want guys to do is we're not going to go up there and just hit a backside ground ball to move a guy over to get him out. We're, we're going to try to actually donkey stomp that ball through your chest at the second baseman and get him over in hopes that, hey, maybe it eats you up. So we still believe that you can get things done, but still hit it as hard as you can as we're controlling it. I just, I've never understood the fact that, hey, I'm just going to flip my hands at a second baseman and get him over. Hey, is there a time for it? Sure. But why won't I hit it hard and do it at the same time? Well, because one of the finds the three and a half, right? I love so it. That, that's just, those are the things that we kind of do through our BP. And there's a lot more that goes into it. We could be here all day because pretty passionate about the way that we do it. Um, but it, it would, we'd be here all day talking about all the, the details that we have and why we do it. But I just don't believe it. You know, I'm going to take swings, just take swings. Mm-hmm. It's all with the purpose and development. Love it. Oh my gosh. Well, I got to tell you, that is our very first donkey stomp reference on the podcast and I hope, and I actually hope there's more of them. Cause I, I actually, I can get down on that. Um, I also, I got to feed you on this pitching plan and I know it's something again, you've been a pitching coach, but you're referencing even yesterday on our call that, that things just seem to shift the minute that you stop pitching to contact and you started pitching for strikeouts. Can you really open that up? Yeah. So, you know, being a you know, pitching guy since 2006, we, you know, I was always pretty, pretty blessed to be a part of a lot of programs that won a lot of games. You know, we were always winning 40 to 45 games a year. And we kept finding a way. We just kept finding, you know, falling a game short. We'd get a game from the World Series, lose. We had two games from the World Series, lose. And I'm like, dude, at some point, like, what are we doing wrong? Right? Yeah. Like, wh- what are we doing? Like, there's something we're doing. We're winning a lot of games, but we can't get over the hump. And so I'm a big research guy. So everything through my whole career is whether, however, whatever pitch it is, whatever swing you take, there's always a rhyme. I write it all down and mm-hmm. I put it in the computer and there's always something going on. So I decided, you know, after 2012, 
we have to get beat twice, steal the World Series, we get beat twice. And I'm like, there we go again, you know, another 45-win season, but doesn't matter, we don't get to the World Series. Like, what what can we change? There's got to be something that we can do. And uh, I start doing research, and I go back, and the first thing I do is I look at our level, the NAI level, and I go look at, all right, these teams are in the World Series. What is something that are continuing there? What is something that they're doing? Then I pull it over, and I look, the D2, the, the Division One, the JUCO, and I'm going through everything. And they all have the same thing in common. And then most of the time it's like, oh, they got really good pitching staff, right? Their ERA is low. And I'm like, well, that's great. You know, we had a great, we had a low ERA too, but that didn't work. And as I'm going through this and that, I mean, I got, seriously, man, I got 27 teams on here. And as I go through it, it's like 22 of them are, their strike, you know, their strikeout numbers are just out the roof. And I'm going, well, okay, what are we missing, man? Like, all right, so. I start just getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And I start looking at teams that are winning national titles and teams that are getting into these national title games. And you go look and they're in the top five in the country in strikeouts. Mm-hmm. I and mean, they're punching people out left and right. And I'm going, so yeah, honestly, it changed my program from then on. We came in with a different plan with intent to train our guys to strike people out. Uh, that was it. I mean, next year we came back in 2013 and we set our plan up that year to everything that we did, and we have our throwing program um, through our long toss program, through our hats, through all of our things that's very detailed and through our plow balls and all that stuff. We have that stuff. But our intent when we were throwing pins or our intent when we were inter-squatting, you know, early in my career was, let's just get quick outs, right? Let's mm-hmm. just get quick outs. Let's get quick outs where it became, let's strike people out. And if they happen to roll over early enough, that's great. But we're, we're there to strike you out. And uh, we started training that way through, through intent, through velo, through, through bite late life, everything that we were doing. And once I started training our guys that, you know, that year out there, all of a sudden we start punching out 10, 11 a game. And then all of a sudden, next thing you know, 13, we go to the World Series for the first time. Um, I'm like, oh, okay, there's wow. a difference. And then after that, it was like, boom, we kept making a step further. We kept making a step further. We kept making a step further. But we wanted to create that late life with that intent to actually punch you out. But I think that for me it was, and it may not be for everybody, but for me it was, it was it was a program changer because you know you can't do anything if I'm striking you out. Yeah, you know, yeah. so it, it was the difference between in big situations instead of that guy being able to hit a sack fly with a guy on third base. We trained our guys to be able to throughout the fall, and this and is it everybody? Let's be real. You still have to recruit the guys that can fit that mold. Mm-hmm. Um, we may have a left-hander that's you know 82, 83 with the plus changeup. He's going to pitch to his strength, so he may not fall in that mold. But we're still going to train that way. But he may pitch a little differently, but we want to have those guys where we're not giving up that sack fly or that backside ground ball to move over because we're striking you out and you can't do anything about it. Um, once we have that in our program and once we started developing that and, and, and getting those guys in our program is when we became you know more successful. And I think last year, I mean, talking about our national championship team, I think we led the country in strikeouts and we punched out like 650 people. And so it was. That was that was it, and it, it isn't like we're sitting around and telling our guys, man, you got to strike out 12, 13 a game. No, but that's just the way we train. We still are developing a strike one. You know, are, are we up? Are we pitching? Are we going side to side? Are we going up to down? How are we pitching? Those things are still progressed in there, but we, we train with max intent to punch you out. That's so good. There's just so much to take away from the first half of this on the baseball end, and again, it's evident why your teams have had success, how you got over the hump, and uh, Coach Dinkle, I just appreciate you opening those things up. Now, let's get into really the meat and potatoes of our Dugout Cheddar shows. a great way to spotlight a loyal ABCA member and find out some of the inner details that make you who you are. 
And one of them is this. When we're thinking about that young coach we were talking about a few minutes ago and who you were and the things you still needed to figure out, like you mentioned, recruiting, how to motivate, how to develop, all those elements. But discuss your growth as a leader. I'm talking about the guy that stands in front of players and directs them towards where they want to go. How have you grown as a leader throughout your career? Oh, a lot, man. Early, <laughs> early, early was a, uh, I was a hothead. I was that guy that I thought that I can fear you into success. You know, mm. I was the dude that it was ball one. I was drop kicking a bucket onto the field. Um, you know, <laughs> trying to dig my chair through the middle of the earth because I was angry, you know. Right. And so, you know, I was that guy early, but I was always eager to learn. And, and as I got older, you know, I started to find out that, you know, the calmer I was, the, the better leader I became. Um, and, and early, I think I hung on a little bit more of, you know, what my success was or what the wins and the L's or what my ERA was as a pitching guy or our batting average as a team instead of creating a human being and a person that, that wins at all phases. And I think that I grew up and I think that started with me just flat out, just calming down. Um, a lot of that has to do with, uh, you know, where I was at in my life with my faith, uh, you know, you know, you know, finding, you know, I found, you know, got a little bit later in life, but I found it. And I also, you know, had a wife that was also calming down and, and having kids will, will calm you down for sure. But I think as a leader, I'm able to now sit in front of my guys and, and explain things a little bit better instead of getting angry that we weren't doing them right. And I started to realize that just wasn't the right way. And so, you know, I grew up, but it, it was, it was an unreal change. Like I said, just as a leader, um, hmm. W's and L's meant everything, right. Instead of the big picture. That's um, I, I, you know, the, the, like I said earlier, man, the, the relationship with my savior and, and focusing on my kids' lives and what they're doing in their future going forward became a priority. I also learned how to delegate. That hmm. is one thing that obviously helped me out of, I learned how to give, um, you know, stuff to my assistants. I allowed them to take control of stuff. And once I did that, I started to find out that my assistant coaches worked harder for me and they just mm -hmm. did. They worked a lot harder for me when I actually just said, Hey, it's, you're going to run with this. It's your pitching staff. Do your thing. Make sure I check it over. But you're right. But I ain't, I am not stepping on your toes, the guy. And you start to realize that, Hey, he's gave me control. Yeah. Now they're loyal and they will work hard for you. Um, but I think that, you know, it's able to have a, it's a healthy environment in the office because we allow our guys to work. And I wouldn't have done that earlier because, you know, I was a guy in 2012 when you talk about help. I mean, I ran a program by myself in 2012, 60 players by myself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so it was, I was coaching bullpens and if I seen something wrong with the swing, I was, you know, from our volunteer guy, I was jumping the fence and running over there trying yep. to coach the hitter. Yep. Then I was sprinting back down to the thing and I was, probably the most in shape I've ever been in my life because I was sprinting all over practice. And sure. so it was, uh, I didn't have any help, but I finally got the help and I learned to delegate, but it, it, those things caused me, to, I want to control everything. So I grew up a, as a leader just by, by learning those, those knickknacks and, you know, giving things away. I know we all want things to be our way, but I promise if you hand it out a little bit more, it makes your life a little bit easier and your team gets better. That's really good. Go back to maybe this season or maybe, you know, something this summer. But when you think about something that really changed the way that you view the game, something that happened, uh, maybe it was a coaching move, maybe it was a certain play, maybe you're out on the recruiting trail and saw something. What's something you could point to that really challenged you as a coach? In fact, challenged you in a way that maybe it changed the way that you're doing it now in your program. Oh, that's tough. Um, I would, you know, honestly, I would say the thing that probably came in the most for us was 
I've always been pretty stubborn in thinking that, you know, our, our throwing program through our pitchers has always been pretty successful. We've always had the ability to gain velocity, and we've always had that forever. And I was always the anti, we're not going to use these plyo balls or anything like that. But I was just sitting down one day like, how, you know, I've always had guys, we'll jump three to four mile an hour in the program. But I was like, how do we get to four or five? And that's not everybody. But, yeah. you know, how do we get to four or five was honestly – I kind of changed. We added in plow balls a few years back, and we're not chucking the way the balls, but we're doing those, you know, everything that we're doing with the arm care stuff. And mm-hmm. that, honestly, for me, was something that we implemented that kind of changed our program a little bit because we actually started to have those velo jumps from two to three to five to six. Mm. Uh, and so, just on top of what we do, it was just an add in, and it still fits our program. It isn't exactly what everybody else does, but it fits that our system. But just by adding that in and I was a stubborn guy early, like, you know, not doing it. And I was like, man, I got to make a change somehow because I got this guy that's 88 to 92. I got him to 91 to 92. And, you know, how do I get him from three to four? Um, You know, and that's not every guy, but, you know, the Ed Jimenez kid last year, you know, was kind of that guy that was two years ago that Mm -hmm. he was 92. And, you know, all of a sudden he's 99 uh, last year for us, going 96 to 99 and had a lot to do with, you know, the plow balls and, and our program all combined into one. But if I did just try to start thinking, what else can I do to make our arms gain our arms get better? Because I'm thinking, man, we want to strike guys out, but I got to have the guys that can do it. How can I make that better? Um, how can I get that? And, you know, getting those plow balls in there, I think was something that along the way, and I know a lot of people are doing it, but I was that guy that was, nope, I was anti plow ball. Now we're not chucking weighted balls or anything like that. Nothing wrong with it, but, we definitely use it for arm care and it has helped. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully that challenges another coach to see if he can work for their program. You know, you've outlined this a few times and I'm asking more directly when you think about the word success, how do you define that? And how has that, even that definition, how has that changed over the years for you? And and again, holding yourself accountable to that. How's that morphed? (laughs) Yeah, really, like I said, it was, I define success early as, as a coach is, as wins and losses. Yeah. I thought if I won and, and people were going to think that I was great and it didn't matter who I stepped on or how I acted, um, as long as I won, man, that was, that was success. And that's all that mattered where, you know, later in life, you start to realize that, you know, success is measured by love. Um, mm. That's just it. You know, do, 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 your, do the people around you love being around you? Do they love working for you do your players love to call you coach and at the end of the day the wins and losses don't really matter as long as the people around you love learning from you being around you they feel like they could pick up a you know phone and call you anytime i want you were successful whether you went you know 20 and 35 or you went you know 50 50 and 5 it, it doesn't matter i think the success for me is definitely designed on do the people around you respect you through love? And I think that that is the number one thing that, I, that I've learned over time, that it is, there's way more important things than those W's and L's, and it's helped me relax, and it's helped me focus on those little things a little bit more to help get our guys better in their careers and their futures and their lifestyle. That's outstanding. Speaking of that, when you're talking about being successful, when you look at successful coaches, and I love this question because so much has come from it, in terms of really – really peeling back the curtain on your daily habits or routines. I know you're, you're a man of faith. I know you're obviously proud to be a father and a husband. And I know those, those factor into your routines as I'm figured out with two kids now. Um, but if you could outline your daily habits or routines, things that you do each day uh, that you seem to think brings success or at least helps you be your best you and then resources, man, are there things that you, that you've read or things you've listened to or, or articles, or you said you're research driven things that you could point other coaches to that you think could help. 
<laughs> yeah, man, I used to be extremely, um, you just had two kids. I used to be extremely routine, man. Same yeah. guy, you know, you read out, jump up, make your bed. But my kids are literally at this point in my life. It's, uh, they're my routine. Yeah. Um, it's just all there is to it. I was a guy that grew up without a father. So they become a the number one things where my kids are my routine. Like I said, I still wake up every day and I get breakfast in the system within the first 20 minutes. Um, you know, and traditionally it's the same routine, get the kids ready, drop them off, uh, get them to school, get to the office at the same time. Those are just my things. But as I wished I can keep the routine, it used to be a lot more strict and follow things throughout the day. But ultimately it's just, seriously, that's predicated on what my kids do. I think you know how that works. <laughs> I do. That routine that you thought you had, it doesn't exist anymore, man. That's Cause a... when your kid throws up all over the classroom in first grade, you got to go take care of that. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, uh, those are the things we do. So I used to be strict. I mean, and I, I'm a routine driven person that I had to, I have to find a way to get around the fact that I have two kids that are the most important thing to me. So, um, you know, as far as things that you asked me, as far as things that I do, that I love to do, man, it's kind of my thing. You talk about routine is I love to watch other coaches from different sports. Okay. I love it. That's my thing. I mean, I'm weird. I, I, I a lot of people <laughs> want to go and watch everybody in baseball. I, I, I want to go watch our football coach. I want to go watch our basketball coach. I want to see how they do things different. A lot of people, what does that do with baseball? I just want to see how they, how they speak, how they act, yeah. how they discipline. That's my thing. I mean, I'm weird. I mean, one of my, you know, my things is I, I like to read books from other coaches from different sports. Um, that's just mm. things that I love to do. And I've learned a lot. I mean, I used to sit back when I was at Sterling, they had a hall of famer there, a guy named Lonnie Cruz that is, you know, that passed away about a year ago that I used to, his, the court was five steps from my office, man. And I would just stand there all day and watch that dude run practice. That was it. But I just sit there and watch it all day. How did he interact? How is he teaching that drill? What is his demeanor? And that was just something that I love. Mm. And I love to do, um, you know, so you talk about resources. I mean, like I said, leading with the heart by coach K is one of my favorite books, um, that I like to do. Um, another book that kind of helped me through, you know, even to recruiting, um, and things that I do was a book by Rod Olson, the legacy builder. I don't know if you've ever had that book. No. Yeah, um, absolutely. I've heard about but, it. Yeah, that's a good one, man. I really, that's one of those books. And I know there's a lot of other books out there where, you know, which you've got a ton with, you know, John Gordon. I got all those I've read through them, but those two books are the ones that have always stuck out to me. Hmm. Um, podcast wise, man, I really don't, I really don't. I probably should. I don't listen to a ton of podcasts. Uh, you know, I have, I listen to the farm system because they played for me and things <laughs> like that. But, uh, no, don't get on there a ton. Listen to yours, but I don't really get into a ton of podcasts, man. I'm traditional about, I'm, I'm so busy with everything that we charted from our inner squads to our point scrimmages to, you know, fungals being in play that I have so much time with those things. I'm usually dropping that into the computer. Mm-hmm. Um, even, you know, it's time. If I have a podcast going on during that time, then I'm going to get distracted. <laughs> so, uh, sure. I just try to, uh, I, I stay more focused on um, what's at hand. Um, but you know, uh, I'm more along the lines that I like to pick up the phone and, and actually call other coaches and, and ask them directly. Um, that's, okay. that's my thing as well. You know, uh, I do that quite a bit. I'll call other coaches in their program and just, Hey man, you got a chance to sit down and talk about something. And I just try to pick their brain that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know it's easy to pick the forecast, but I, I'm more of a, you know, I'd like to hear it, you know, firsthand from you. Yeah. So those are the things that we try to do, but you know, you ask routine, man. And tell these kids a little bit older, I'm not sure I can get back into one. I, <laughs> I'm fighting hard. I, I, I thought I had one when I had one kid and I was getting really settled. The second kid's throwing it for a loop. So I'm really trying to find. They ruin it, man. Oh, they boy. ruin it. It's, it's crazy. It. 
best line as all the dads out there listen to the show. One plus one is not equal to it equals eight and you've <laughs> got to account for eight. <laughs> and I'm, I'm learning no that doubt. every day. Um, take us into this dink, your most humbling moment in coaching. What's the one thing that, that, that happened to you that still sticks just as, as firm as it did then that really changed the way that you viewed things moving forward. You know, I heard, heard you ask this question before on some of your podcasts. I was like, man, what is one of more, maybe more embarrassed than humbling on some of these things? But, you know, I wouldn't, being humble for me is, you know, early, just not knowing what you're doing. But I say hey, today and age is just, I mean, I'm humbled every day because I just mm. I realize that there's always someone smarter than me that does it better than me. So I don't really put myself in a position to, I try not to put myself in a position to be humbled. Uh, I think that's crazy, but I just, I do everything in my power to not get in that situation. Try not to get too high or think that I'm better or do something better than everybody else. Cause I know there's always something somebody else is doing that is better than what I'm doing. And I'm going to learn, but I, when you ask that question, I'm like, man, what could it be? And I'm thinking I could say that one, but that's actually embarrassing. Um, more than being humbled, you know? So I think the humble part is, is I try to put myself in a position not to be humbled. Sure. That's good. No, that's an interesting take. Um, keep going on this, man. Hidden talents or hobbies? What, what, show us what you got. What's behind the curtain on Adrian Dinkle? <laughs> we, we just said, man, my <laughs> kids are my hobbies, man. That's just what they are. But yeah. I love to fish. Um, I okay. do love to fish, man. I got, I, uh, I'm a bit, I, I love to get out there. Actually, yesterday I got out there and uh, I caught the biggest bass of my life, man. I got a, a 10 and a half pound bass right off the lake out the back of the house. I'm guessing that's um, good. Yeah, that's pretty good, my man. If you don't like to fish, it's pretty good. I mean, most people spend their lifetime not getting anything that big. Hopefully, you know, then I got a, another guy fishing an hour later. He's like, man, I've caught a 13. and made me feel bad about myself. But, uh, <laughs> sure. you know, that's 10 and a half. That's your uh, most humbling moment you know, in I'm, fishing. <laughs> yeah, getting dominated by that dude next to me, man. But, no, I mean, I love to fish. But, you know, you're hitting talents-wise, man. It is crazy. Believe it. I can actually break down. I need uh, to see this in I Dallas. Was, I'm trying to keep that, you know, I want to keep it hidden. That's why it's called the hidden talent. But yeah, man, I used to, I was the dude growing up that would, the bell would ring and you get out front and me and the boys would get outside and we would pop lock and drop it right out in front, throw a piece of cardboard down and get after throw it. Throw the cardboard. It was, so I, it was just, I used to break dance, man. So the, there's a lot of times I, I can actually break dance. So uh, I would wow. like to keep that one hidden, but I did that a lot growing up. Um, I feel like, Oh, wow. First of all, again, first breakdance reference inside that question. We need to do this in Dallas. That's a great tweetable moment. Let's let's make that hidden talent. Let's share it with the world because you're going to make a coach smile. You're going to make a coach laugh. Uh, I'll make sure I, I put that in the back pocket for Dallas when I grab you. Um, that's outstanding. Give me uh, funny stories over the years. What are a couple things that jump off that, man, it was in the locker room, the dugout, the bus, whatever that you absolutely still get a chuckle out of. What would you offer? Oh, dude, I have so many. Um, literally I have so many. I worked for the first guy that ever gave me a job was an absolute treat to work for. And was a guy that, uh, I'll tell you what, man, he was very serious about winning and getting things done, but he just knew how to get a time. But I want to give you a couple with him was, uh, Regular season, the school, I don't think it's ever maybe won one regular season conference championship, and it's just in my first year, and so I'm young, and, you know, I'm locked into this game, and it's it's the regular season championship, and the school is all about winning those, and we're fired up. I don't know where we are, Ottawa or something, man, and we're playing the game, and he's got me coaching third base, and it's a six-to-four game or six-to-five baseball game, and we got a guy in the bottom of the lineup that is out there for D. He can't hit it all, right? And so he's getting ready to come up, and I'm – 
I come in the dugout and I'm looking for boss. I'm like, we're skip, man. We're, we're skip. I'm like, I'm trying to figure out, can we pinch hit for the guy? Are we going to pinch hit for the guy? And he's nowhere to be found. And the team's like, I don't know where he's at. Right. <laughs> so it, I tell you, I'm like trying to get him hurry, but at the time he's got me coaching third and I'm calling pitches. So obviously I got to sit straight down and get ready to call the game. So like, they're like, not, nobody's saying anything. I sit down and I'm getting ready to call his. I mean, the game's it's tension in the air. All of a sudden, man, I call first pitch and I smell fire, man. My boss was underneath the bench, dude, lighting my shoes on fire. Wow. And so I'm up there, dude, my cleats on fire, my turf's <laughs> on fire. I'm jumping up, throwing the thing, spreading out. I'm like, what? What are you doing, man? He's like, you got to relax. It's just a baseball game. But the other, that was the kind of dude he was, man. He sat underneath there and just actually lit my turf on fire. Um, <laughs> Little Mr. Baseball. One. Tom Selleck. That's just who he was. That's who he was. <laughs> That's man. Anyway, you'd never have a dull day with that guy. Um, but, you know, other one was, wow, it was probably the next year, man. And at the time, he's naming the associate head coach. And uh, he's he rolls in. We had a game before against the same team. And we're on the next day. And he gets in the yard. I'm the first one there getting the field ready. And he walks in and he looks at me. And he says, get ready to coach today. I'm getting ejected at the home plate meeting. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, bro. You, you aren't getting ejected, dude. Um, so go think of the other get my arm ready and <laughs> he gets ran, right? He he gets tossed and he gets he he puts on a show, gets ejected at the home play meeting, he's gone, he heads out and uh I coach the game and so after the game, you know, they've had you know, other coaches getting ejected in other sports throughout the years or A D actually decides to make an example of him, which kind of sucked for his situation, didn't do anything wrong, they give him a six game suspension. So now I'm like running the program. <laughs> wow. He can't be at practice for six games. And I got six games, and I'm like, I got to run the thing at third base. Got to run my way, and so he gets the bright idea that he's going to park his truck in the parking lot in the outfield, and he's going to flash his lights for hit and run, <laughs> bunt and steal. I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to like literally, he's out there, and there's a guy on first or whatever it is, and he's he's like got my cell phone, he's calling it, and I'm trying not to answer, but I see his lights flashing one, two. And he just, he's trying to coach the game from his truck in the parking lot by flashing his headline. Oh, and I'm just, that first game I ran what he said. After that, I was like, Skip, we can't be doing this, man. He's like calling me in between and he's paying attention to the headlights. But that was something that we kind of crack up about, man. He was trying to call the game with his, with, with literally SO signals and Morse code from his headlights. It was, <laughs> it was pretty funny. That's outstanding. Love it. Love the stuff that comes from those. Um, You've mentioned a lot of guys, and I know you know you're big on um, learning from others and being a mentor. E and certainly you've been a mentor to so many. When you think about your personal Mount Rushmore, and these are the three or four people that have truly impacted you the most in the game of baseball, who would you hold up? Uh, first, first of all, it's going to be my mom and my you know my stepdad, a guy that took over the family when I was 14 years old. But those are by far and away you know two that have impacted me the most on that aspect from just always saying I could finding a way to, to get me where I needed to go and doing what I needed to do. And I, it's, I have a different one in there where I got the stepdad that is more like, you know, when I got an issue and I'll talk to him, he's like, yeah, you know, I get it. Where my mom's no one's going suck it up, stop being soft. And so they're actually opposite. So sure. but those two have always been supportive. And then another one would be uh, Matt Trammell, the first guy I ever wore. He gave, he's the guy that gave me the opportunity against game. He really taught me how to recruit. Um, like I said, I prefaced earlier, man, I think he was the best recruiting guy I've ever been around, but that was a guy that he would be up there just because he really taught me a ton, man. And he was a guy when I worked for him, he just allowed me to coach. Um, and so he allowed me to learn. It kind of just threw me in the fire um, mm. and it just had me learn. And if I had problems or I did something, he'd pull it back. He'd bring me in and say, hey, that's just not the way we do it. Or 
this is the way you need to do it, and he, he'd be on there. And another one would be uh, my best friend. His name's Ben Buck. He's actually the head coach at Lamar Community College. Sure. Um, and so him, he is he's my my go-to guy as far as that go, to where I say I reach out to a guy a lot, where if I can't get something fixed with whether it's a swing or an arm or, or whatever it is, man, uh, it's always been my job that it's my job to find the verbiage. It's always my job to find a way, whatever it may be. It's not the player's fault. It's my fault. I better find a way to get it figured out where, you know, you're beating your head against the wall for two weeks. Can't figure it out. Well, he's always the first guy that I've always gone to where I'm saying, Hey man, I can't get this guy to do this. And man, we'll sit on the phone for hours, just hashing out ways to get it figured out. And we do it with each other's players quite a bit, but he's been a tremendous resource because there's been times in there where I've worked with somebody where I'm like, I can't, find the words or i can't find the drill to get this done and i'll call him and he'll be like you try this and next day i go and it works um <laughs> and it's just it's just the way it works he does anything man i tried it it worked with our guy and so those guys would be my route rush more but he's been a tremendous asset to me man i've always you know anytime i get a job i offer him a job anywhere i ever go and he turns me down every time but one day i'm gonna be able to get him with me that's it uh take us into this the qualities of the best players teammates people that you've been around in baseball, what rises to the top for you? What, what defines the best people you've spent time with? Uh, people that are loving, honestly, people that are loving, that are, that are selfless. Um, and they're not afraid to get their hands dirty. Um, and those are the people I feel like have always been the best, you know, coaches, the people that have been the best players that I've ever been around. They're not afraid to pick up trash and they're not afraid to do what other people don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, they, they're always loving and caring for, for you more than just a baseball coach um, and everybody else around them. Um, they want to do more for other people. I mean, those are always, for some reason, have always found a way in my life that even if they don't put the best numbers, they're always the best player to me. Um, but those are, those are always qualities, and those are simple three qualities to me uh, just across the board. So good. All right, brother, take us home on this one's the last question we always ask on the show. And there's so many, so many nuggets that come from when you think about the best advice you've ever been given, what's the one thing you still hold on to that maybe changed the course of, of where you were going, but then what else do you have to offer for any coach paying attention to this youth, high school, college professional, what's some advice you would give those guys? Uh, I have a few, you know, it's been best advice and wouldn't narrow them down to one for me because it's been, it's been a long road, but, uh, yeah. Probably one of the best advice I've ever had was, you know, was we always make it a point to talk to everybody on your team every day. And whether it's just say their name, you know, whether it's just, hey, Jeremy, man, how you doing today? How's the family? How's class? You know, just so they hear their names. That was something that early in the grid didn't matter. Now it's just make them a point to know that you care about it. And it may be a baseball question. It's just let them hear your name. Um, bring them in the office. And I try to make it a point in this year. You know, we got 50 guys. I try to make a point to go around, whether it's just getting on a golf cart and going finding them to talk to them. Um, see how they're doing, man. Uh, it's something I, I started to do with that, man, is I write notes to our guys. Um, if a guy's struggling, whatever he's doing with, even in baseball, I write notes about, Hey, how much confidence we have in them. And it's something that they can keep, they can hang up on their wall. Um, and that's stuff. I'll shoot them a text, wow. well, you know, just a big, long text of, Hey man, I know you're struggling in this situation, but we still believe uh, and things like that, that I try to do with just a lot of our guys. Um, maybe the best advice you know, as far as, Helping with my, my, my coaching career was from Ray Birmingham, the head coach at the University of New Mexico. Sure. I was coaching in Texas, and we were in Albuquerque. And uh, once again, blowing up, being hot-tempered, he actually walked over with a dinkle. And he coached my brother and everything. And so we knew, we've known him for a long time. And he says, hey, now, why don't you try to limit your blow-ups? I said, well, what do you mean by that? He says, why don't you try something this year? He says, why don't you try to blow up three times max? 
And I said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, because after you start blowing up after your third time, everything you're doing is white noise. Mm. So I was like, you're right. So honestly, I, I, I said, you know, I'm going to give it three absolute freak outs and hopefully it goes to zero and I don't have to freak out, but it's going to happen. And it's time to, you know, there are the time and a place to get into somebody. But once I started blowing up less, my guy started to respond a little bit more. And that was advice. I was like, wow, um, you know, do that. And at the same time, it led over to, you know, don't be prideful and ask others for advice. You don't know everything. Um, and so we use that quite a bit. There's always somebody else that's smarter than you, but even just listening to these podcasts that you got going, which is a tremendous resource. To, you don't be afraid to send an email. Don't be afraid to call somebody. Uh, connect with others, man. Yeah. Uh, just connect with others. Be kind to the people that are around you, man. Um, and, and advice, and I said it was something if I left out to here that I, I think I say to my assistants every single day, and I write it on the board quite a bit, is, with our team is I tell them every single day, assume that our players know nothing every single day. When we walk out to the field, we can't go out there and assume that our guys know anything. Cause the minute we do that, they're going to forget something. So we, we walk to the field every day with the mindset that, Hey, they may know everything, but we're going to assume they know nothing. And we, if we have to reteach it every day, then we will. It's an interview. I don't want to end. Just an outstanding job, Dink. Again, outlining so much from the way that you guys have done things at Southeastern, the culture that you have in place, the details inside of practice, plus, man, opening up who you are, why you coach, and obviously who you've become along your journey. Dude, I can't thank you enough for jumping on the call with us. It's been awesome to connect through this. And again, talk with the 2018 NAI National Champion, head coach, Southeastern University Fire. Adrian Dinkle Dink, thanks for jumping on the call with us. We wish you the best of luck. I appreciate it, Chief. God bless. Coaches, thanks for checking out our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast and another one of our Dugout Chatter episodes. Here at the American Baseball Coaches Association, our job is to serve coaches around the world. So let us know how we can help you out. Head over to our website, abca.org, if you're looking for more information about our coaching fraternity. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter, at ABCA1945. If you want to reach out to me directly, do that through Twitter, at CoachSheets3, or by email, Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S, at abca.org. We'd love to hear from our loyal members. We'd like to hear from some new members and continue to find ways to work together at growing the game of baseball. Huge thanks to the sponsor of our Dugout Cheddar Shows, our great partners over at Rawlings. If you're looking for more information about what they're doing for baseball and this coaching fraternity, head over to their website, Rawlings.com. That's R-A-W-L-I-N-G-S.com. And thanks again, guys, for your support. As always, thanks for listening in and staying dialed into our Calls from the Clubhouse podcast. Until next week, we ask you keep growing, you keep developing, you keep challenging yourself inside this game. We wish you and your club the very best, and thank you for what you're doing for the game of baseball. 